Good morning and welcome along to the Home Show on News Talk with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, we'll be speaking with photographer Ruth Medjber about life in a camper van. We'll be discussing how futuristic technology could impact our choices of art. And optimised designs Denise O'Connor will be here to show us what to consider when it comes to countertops and giving us tips on how to make your home interior look, but not cost, a lot of money. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or you'll find me over on Instagram or Twitter at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live, listen back to the show and all of our podcasts which are up on the News Talk website or on the app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, you're very welcome along to the show today. We feature tech quite a lot on terms of gadgets and all that kind of thing, even if I'm a very well-known klutz when it comes to all that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, it got me thinking about that dichotomy between high tech and beauty, even though in the kitchen, for instance, all appliances now have to look great as well as work well. Where does it all end? I mean, you can buy a bog standard kettle, uh, for instance, for, I don't know, 20 quid. But if you fancy a smeg or a DeLonghi, you can pay five times that for something that really essentially does exactly the same job. And there's lots of people who do. And I've always found it curious how science, engineering and art meet. So I'm really looking forward to talking with one of my guests later, an art curator who'll be discussing just that with me and where the future is when it comes to tech and art. We're told robots are the future. Would you want one? Would you trust one in your home? Would you have virtual art instead of the real thing on your walls? And if it's computer generated, is it even real art? Well, I'd love to hear what you think uh, and where you draw the virtual line, so to speak. You can text us here 53106 for 30 cents. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and I'm over on Insta at Sinead Ryan 100. And you're very welcome along this morning to The Home Show. Now, does dreaming of life on the open road take up your day? Have you ever thought about buying a camper van and having the freedom to take off anywhere? Well, with the stress of post-pandemic travel, many people are doing just that. And one of them is in studio with me. Photographer Ruth Medjbear is part of this burgeoning community and she joins me now. Ruth, you're very welcome into the studio. Thank you so much. Look, it was one of those COVID lockdown things that everybody suddenly piled into, whether it was staycations or importing camper vans or, you know, not having anywhere to live, so having to find one. What brought you into this vibrant community? I was hovering around the idea of getting a camper van for years. You know, it was always there in the back of my mind. I always thought I might like it. And then, you know, I used to be a touring photographer, music photographer, so I'd be on the road with bands sleeping in a bunk and I adored that lifestyle. I loved the freedom of just waking up in a different country every day. I loved it. And then when the pandemic hit, I really missed that. I missed touring. I missed like a teeny tiny bunk to sleep in. Um, And then, you know, the prices for the camper vans went sky high during the pandemic because everybody was in the same boat. Everybody just wanted somewhere to live and the prices of hotels and everything in Ireland just made it really, really hard for anyone to have a good family holiday. So I was kind of priced out of the market. So I I set my sights on saving again for a mortgage. I was like, okay, do you know what? Let's just do it. Let's just, let's just 
like knuckle down and save. Then in January this year, I had a really bad bicycle accident where I slammed my head into a tree, knocked myself out. And the doctors, when I went, I arrived at the hospital, they said, you would have died without your bike helmet. And that's something that really resonated with me. And I kind of thought it made me really aware of how short life is and how quickly it can be taken away. So as soon as I got out of the hospital and I recovered a bit, I kind of thought to myself, it was my birthday and I was scrolling away on done deal when I was having brunch with my friends and this camper van popped up and I was like, that looks gorgeous. And I hadn't been looking in a while because I was injured, you know. And then I saw this camper van. I said, you know what? I'm just going to press call and see what happens. Rang your man. Turned out he was in the area. He was like next door to where we were having brunch. I said, can I view this? He said, yeah. I shook his hand and I bought the thing. Go away. Just instantly bought it. Well, now that's the ultimate impulse purchase. It was. It? it was. Are you normally given to impulse purchases, Ruth? I'm given to impulse rash decisions in my life, but they're kind of carefully thought out, like out for years in advance. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm just going to pull the trigger so on this. Bit of serendipity yeah, at play like, there. Absolutely. That's what it was. So then I found myself in this beautiful van and um, it's absolutely changed my life. Yeah, just for the better. And is this to live in or to tour in? It's not to live in. No, I do have a tiny little gaff. Uh, so it's just to have the crack in. It's it's to go visit my friends who have all moved out of Dublin to other parts mm. of the country. Mm. It's to work in. You know, I'm a, I'm a photographer. We travel an awful lot. I spend a lot of hours on the road. You know, when I was doing my book and stuff, the camper van would have been so handy because I was sleeping in my car at the side of the road, driving home from West Cork in the middle of the night you know so it's just from a practical point of view it makes so much sense but then I didn't think it would have such an effect on my personal life it kind of just changed me as an entire human being I've become a lot more relaxed I was even just saying there last night I was like I love getting into my van because my van has a certain kind of smell to it you know when your car has a certain smell you know like spaces have smell when I get into my van and I smell that I'm like my shoulders like instantly. Like an exhale. Yeah, my yeah, shoulders yeah. drop. Coming home. The weight comes off me and I'm just like, I'm just so happy right now. It's a beautiful experience. And uh, practically speaking then, like what condition was it in? Did you have to do anything to it? Uh, you know, how yeah. does it look? Yeah. So as much as I love DIY, I didn't want to do this van up myself because it's a whole lot of learning. And I have so much respect for the people that buy a shell of a van and then they do all the carpentry and all the electrics and all the plumbing and everything that go into building a home. It is. It's just like a home. It's a tiny little home and that was an awful lot and I I toyed with the idea of doing it and learning it but I don't have the time I have a job you know I have a life (laughs) so the one that I bought is a converted Renault Master so it's kind of the same size as like you know it's a medium wheelbase like a rent like a Ford Transit kind of thing and it's kitted out fully inside your man I bought it off um, was a woodworking teacher and this was his lockdown project doing up these vans so it's finished immaculately (laughs) it's brilliant but it has everything that I wanted to have I needed to have a toilet and a shower because there's no way I'm leaving the van at three in the morning looking to me. I think that that was going to be my next question and I think for many people they could put up with a lot and love that kind of idea of Mm -hmm. outdoor living and roaming and nomadic lifestyle Mm -hmm. 
But the shower in the loo is pretty much a no-brainer for that would be yeah. the tipping point for a lot of people, wouldn't I've it? Got my own shower and loo, and yeah. I've learned how to change yeah. the cassette toilet, which is you know <laughs> it's not ideal, but I'll, I'll do it. And I've got it rigged out really nice because even I love doing my hair every day. It's a real ritual for me. You mm. know what I mean? Just straightening my hair. So I've got you know a USB powered GHD straighteners. I've got you know I've got everything really well done. I've got my wardrobe all kind of kitted out inside. I've had a lovely few months doing it up the way I've wanted and creating all these little like hacks to make it better so I've magnetised all my mugs so they don't clink around the place I've got lovely like wine glasses and I've you know I've I've done it nice (laughs) It sounds absolutely idyllic It is Um, and and it's lovely that you have it How are you finding things like well the fuel costs Mm -hmm. like it is expensive at the moment to run anything on the road It is very expensive you're right so you do end up planning your journeys kind of or, or sticking around longer you know it's a very slow lifestyle there's no rush to get anywhere so you know I might make one big trip out to the west and then I could stay there for about two weeks living on like five different beaches mm. but they could, those beaches might only be a couple of miles from each other and you get a different location every day and a different view in the morning when exactly. you wake up have you found it easy to find places to pitch up or are there rules around that? I mean we don't have I, I would have thought a surfeit of campsites in Ireland. We don't have, not like the French or the Spanish mm. or the Portuguese have them and they do it on an, on an immaculate level. They're really just ahead of the game there. We don't do it in the same way. There is a few campsites and there's a few new eco campsites, which I'm a big fan of. So that's everybody is looking at themselves. It's totally sustainable. You kind of leave no trace and it's a lot more wild. But I do camp wild. I love my my van is rigged out to camp wild completely off the grid. What does that mean, Ruth? You don't need an electrical hookup. You don't need so camping wild is like you're just camping on public property, Um, and then yeah. So I've got solar panels and everything, so I never really need to plug in. You know, the only time I need to come back to kind of real life is when I need to do stuff like empty the loo or fill up with water and stuff. So I would just find lovely patches of grass or you know parking on. Uh, beaches or stony roads or whatever it is I find mm. I come across when you're just like mm. this is a lovely place to stop will I stop I will you know open a bottle of wine and take out the book <laughs> it's great that sounds amazing do you ever feel unsafe? No I have the van you know it is something that I, I did think about when I bought the van I was just like well I'm going to have to watch this because you know at the time I was a single woman and I was planning to just go around the country on my own and go abroad on my own I'm going to have to be safe so I lock myself in the van of an evening and I bolt it from the back door so no one can open it from the outside in which is grand but what you'll find in the camper van community everyone really looks after each other. So there is spots that everyone camps together, even though we don't know each other. And you just kind of throw an eye over to your neighbour and you're like, oh, there's someone else on our own. I'll go over and say hello to them. Or, you know, or there's like a lovely old retired couple that will come over and introduce themselves and they're very interested in how you've done up the van and everything. <laughs> so it's very chatty. And I do mm. think people will look after you. So touch wood, I haven't gotten into any difficulties yet. Is the camper van now a work in progress or are you done with it? Or is there always bits and pieces to do? I'm forever buying stuff for it. Uh, it's ridiculous. See, it's, doesn't that go against what it's supposed to be? No, just cutting but back like, on things. I'm buying stuff like, you know, bungee cords so that I can do a new shoe rack. You know, so it's not, you're not spending loads of money on it. Sounds but, to me you're convincing yourself these are all useful uh, necessary stop. items. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> I know, it's lovely. It is a little home from home though. So, but yeah. there is maintenance to be done on it. You know, like I said, it, it has everything that a house has, but then it also has an engine. So you're looking at, you know, doing it up yourself, but like keeping a, keeping a tabs on what you're putting into it. So, you know, like figuring out 
the entire layout of this tiny home was huge for me. Like, how do solar panels connect to leisure batteries? Mm. How many leisure batteries mm. do I need? What voltage do I go beyond before it gets dangerous? How do I, you know, where does the diesel heater draw from? Am I going to do this? So I've learned a lot. In it a sounds months. to me like you are an expert. And of course, Ruth Medjber, you are also a very well-known photographer. That, like... There's a lot of kit that goes around with being a photographer, mm. tripods and camera lens and all that. Uh, you've had to find room for that, of course, as well. Mm. So how how do you make sure that that's kept safe? Well, my camera lives on me the entire time. So I never leave my camera in the van or the car. That's just a rule that I've had since I was, you know, 16 mm. years of age. So that's always fairly safe. But, you know, you, you kind of just have to be really trusting of people and where you park it. And you just always have to be very conscious of, of where you're going. And, you know, it's it's I have a little bit of an Instagram following and I've learned to not post where I am because people will turn up. So okay. I only post where I am right. the day after I've right. left. You know, it's like, that was a lovely trip. Yeah. <laughs> not, hey, I'm here at, you know, Diamond Hill, come and see me. Because you do get people, I'm like, okay, this this might not be safe. Okay, all right. Now, of course, you're an artist by trade and profession. H- have you been able to resist doing some design work? You know, apart from buying all the bits and pieces, have you painted it up? Have You, you know what? I've just been, I've been talking to my amazing friend Holly Pereira who is an incredible uh, mural painter and artist and illustrator and I have been poking her for ages going Holly will you paint my van will you paint my van will you paint my van so I have this amazing idea where I want to go from one side of the van where it's going to be dawn and the other side will be twilight and dusk and it'll go from orange to blue and yeah I have this fantastic right. idea now whether Holly has the time and I have the funds <laughs> to pay her we'll see but yeah there's plans there absolutely yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're having the time of your life in it. You're having fun. I know. I'm having so much fun. I've had the, even just cycling in here today because it's, you know, I was thinking, this is the best summer of my life because I've been doing the bare minimum in terms of paid work. I just earn enough to keep me in the van. And that's a new lifestyle for me. Pre-pandemic, pre-accident, I was very goal-orientated and success-orientated and I wanted to live a certain type of lifestyle. Mm. Now I'm like, bye, I just want to be in my van. Are you festivaled out now? Are you at the end of the season or have you more plans We're for the We're at the, the end of, of the season. I've done an awful lot of them. Helped by my van for the first time ever. So it's a lot comfier. Yeah. I have have you saved more. money? You've saved money then on hotel. Like, Do you normally yeah. have to pay for that out of your fee then for normally, festivals? Normally I would, yes. Yeah. So the first okay. thing I did when I bought the van was go to go to my hotels app and cancel them all. <laughs> Oh. I've got one one hotel left for uh, other voices down in Dingle and I genuinely think I might just cancel that now because the van is lovely and toasty. It doesn't matter that it'll be December and it'll be Baltic. I think mm. I'm, I'd much rather be in the van than in a hotel. Ruth Medver, it is a joy to speak to somebody so full of joy and optimism <laughs> and actually kind of restoring that uh, goodwill in human nature. You mm. know, you've only found good, nice people uh, on your travels or maybe you, you haven't, you've ignored or haven't, no, haven't bothered so with far, the ones who are everyone aren't. is lovely. We're doing the nation proud. Everyone is just gorgeous out there. So yeah, it's truly a lovely way of life. I can't pick it up enough. Like, <laughs> Well, where can people find yesterday's videos <laughs> on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Ruthless Imagery on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, all of that. All right. And the book? Is Twilight Together, A Portrait of Ireland at Home. Thank you for that. All right. Yeah. Okay, Ruth Medjver, it's been a joy. Thank you so much for coming in uh, today to join us on My The Home pleasure. Show. My pleasure, thank you. And still to come on The Home Show here on News Talk. What is art and what makes art? And with all the new technologies available to create virtual art, how do you know? Well, we'll be finding out after the break, back in a few moments. 
Now, later on today, my next guest will be giving the International Art Talk at Framley House in Dublin in the Phoenix Park. Jackie Klein is a well-known art historian and writer who specialises in modern and contemporary art and has been a curator at the Tate and the Barbican Galleries in London. Her talk this afternoon will be looking at the intersection of art and science and our relationship with them as the decades evolve. Jackie, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, this is an odd one because... I think a lot of people maybe don't know possibly where they stand on this or or where the innovations are uh, in terms of how art is produced now in, in such a different way in some cases than used to be the case in the past. Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing to say is that to most of us, most of the art that we see hasn't actually changed very much. There's still a huge amount of painting and sculpture being made photography, uh, craft-based art, you know, using textiles or glass. That's a huge amount of what we'll still see in museums and galleries and also, you know, for purchase. But what has changed and what is changing is that over the last 10 years or so, a whole host of new technologies have emerged and they've really started, I think, to impact firstly on our daily lives. Uh, And we see that now feeding into the art world. So things like AI, artificial intelligence, Um, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, things like wearable tech, you know, maybe your running watch, for example, location tracking, 3D printing, projection mapping. This is an enormously fertile time in terms of the explosion of these new technologies. And that's what we're now starting to see uh, percolate down through to the art world and to the art that's being made. Now, I know that probably, you know, there are a lot of homes out there and and probably a lot of corporate spaces that have um, virtual art, maybe a screen on the wall where the where the painting changes or the colours change or it tries to evoke some sensory feeling. But actually, it's a different kettle of fish, isn't it, when you have the computer generating the art itself. And I'm really fascinated by this whole use of AI, uh, artificial intelligence, in creating it. Because is it the case, from what I understand, that you have the artist describing what they want the painting to look like and then the computer generates images back? That can be the case. And there's been a lot of controversy around this, as you can imagine, because the idea of a machine, a computer, uh, an AI program creating an artwork, of course, you know, completely displaces potentially the idea of the artist as the maker, as the handmade creator of something. And also it really fuels the debate about what art is and what originality is. So you're right, there are now AIs that are, you know, producing in quotes works of art. Obviously, it's up to us to decide whether we feel that they are worthy works of art or indeed, you know, whether they actually qualify as a work of art if, you know, there is no creative intent by the maker, which there isn't yet uh, in these computers. But I mean, for example, just a few days ago, there's been huge controversy over an AI artwork that actually won an art prize in America. This was created by a games designer, Jason Allen, um, who won the Colorado State Fair's fine art competition with an image that was created um, online using one of these programs, um, which is an AI tool, which does exactly what you said there. It transforms text that you type in into images, into realistic graphics. So he had nothing to do with the making of the artwork in terms of the programming. What he did was suggest some words, and then the AI spat back at him an image, and he chose the image he wanted. 
and that's the one that won the competition. It's a crazy area. It is. I had a look at, actually at the painting you're talking about, this winning painting. If, if I'm, 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 heck, you can hear me hesitating over saying the word painting <laughs> sure, because sure. it's a print on canvas, really. Uh, the Colorado State Fair Fine Arts Competition. And um, it, it's very... Um, I would have thought Renaissance in its approach. It's kind of got um, people in in kind of 18th century, maybe 19th century costumes. It looks as if they're looking out on a stage or something. I mean, he said he went through 900 images and it took him 80 hours to pull it together, which I suppose if you were painting it wouldn't sound unrealistic. Sure. Do you think people have that difficulty with, look, it's still not, art you know you're not doing anything here of course and this is a long long debate that in a way has potentially gone back centuries i mean it certainly has gone back at least a hundred years to the artist marcel duchamp who really was the founder of conceptual art if you like so he's the guy who put a bicycle wheel on a on a chair and called it a work of art he's also the man who famously um, got a men's urinal and took it out of its context in a bathroom and placed it again in a gallery and said, this is a work of art and it's called Fountain uh, rather cheekily. So this goes back at least a hundred years, but, you know, arguably, you know, great famous Renaissance artists like Michelangelo or Leonardo, they worked with assistants, you know, um, painters through the many centuries have worked with studios full of assistants who would often do you know, for example, the less important part of a painting, maybe a foot or a bit of drapery. And then the master artist would come in and do the face and the hands and obviously the composition. You know, does that mean that, you know, a Michelangelo is fully a Michelangelo if there were other hands involved? So we've come to accept, we probably said, yes, it is a Michelangelo over the years. So it may be that our perception of what art is now is changing. As you say, this, you know, um, designer, artist, um, Jason Allen, did spend a great deal of time choosing and selecting. That's no more than Marcel Duchamp did in choosing and selecting his objects. Mm. So these are very interesting philosophical questions that they raise about what art is, what creativity is. And of course, it's all art has always been controversial at times. I mean, we think of, when we think of impressionist paintings, Manet or Renoir, we think of chocolate box type of gentle landscape stuff. Mm. But at the time, that was fairly provocative. I mean, you have somebody like Degas and his pointillism and uh, ballet dancers and Georges Seurat. I mean, it's... It, it, probably was weird back then and controversial and unusual and really not of its time because in a lot of cases it didn't depict religious um, themes. And then you have somebody like Tracy Emin or Damien Hirst coming along and you're thinking, that's not even art, it's an unmade bed. Absolutely, Is this yeah. just uh, another emanation of that? I think it is. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. It's incredible to think now that the Impressionists were so controversial when they started making their work in the 1860s and 70s. As you say, we're used to these images on bits of merchandise, chocolate boxes. But, you know, an artist like Cezanne was called, you know, a butcher um, for breaking down the picture plane and, and making things look much more fragmented. And of course, you know, those artists, Monet, Manet, yeah, their work was seen as incredibly unnaturalistic and therefore very bad. Now we accept it, you know, accept all of those artists as great, great artists worthy of their places in museums. What I would say about the work being made now is that I think in any period, it's incredibly hard to judge what's being made in this moment. There will be some future Michelangelos and Cezanne working right now. 
uh, at their desktops and at their computer screens, there will also be a huge amount of dross. Let's not, um, you know, beat about the bush. There's a huge amount that's being made that isn't terribly interesting, that's very derivative, that's not very original or worthwhile. But that has, again, been the case through the centuries of art history. You know, you had a great Renaissance sculptor working in his studio, and there were a hundred such sculptors who haven't made, in, made it into the museums and the collections that we now, um, you know, go and see publicly. Mm. Um, so I think it's the tough thing is that this work is being made now. How do we judge it? How do we understand it? How do we know what's going to last? And for me, that's part of the excitement of contemporary art in general, but also specifically about this kind of tech art. Because again, we don't know which technologies are going to last. You know, some of the work that was being made by early internet artists in the late 80s and early 90s, really interesting stuff, is now unable to be experienced or viewed because the technologies on which it was made are obsolete. Mm, mm. So there's so much going on now that is some of it similar to what went on in the past and some of it very new and different. And just in a different way, maybe. And I had somebody on the show um, a while back trying to explain NFTs uh, to the <laughs> to our listeners. Yeah. I'm not sure we all got our head around that. But that is a kind of um, maybe an extreme example of where virtual art um, has gone because that stuff doesn't exist in real life or if it does you you can't hang it up in your wall it exists on a screen and you can pay millions for this stuff I mean how are people being taken for a ride there Jackie do you think well I mean the question of you know supply and demand and markets and their preferences is a crazy one it has been for many commodities through history mm. um, certainly some of the prices that were being reached for NFTs for these non-fungible tokens yeah. these one-off digital artworks um, in the past few years have been crazy. But of course, the cryptocurrency crash, you know, a few months ago um, has had a huge impact on the NFT market and really challenged it. I mean, it is difficult to get your head around. Essentially, buyers are paying for a digital image, a JPEG. Um, but, you know, there are now, interestingly, since the crash a few months ago, there are NFT galleries that have opened, for example, in London and New York and elsewhere where you can go to a physical space again, a traditional kind of gallery setting, to see these digital artworks on the wall in their digital frames. So that blurring of the real and the digital, I think, is definitely mm. happening. Now, you're going to be talking about new frontiers of art and technology in your talk um, later on this afternoon, and that's in Farmley House at three o'clock. Um, talk to me a little bit about the themes that you're going to be touching on, Jackie. Sure. Well, I'm going to be looking at a lot of these new technologies, not all of them, because I'm only talking for an hour or so, but looking at artificial intelligence, at things like virtual reality, at some artists who are using maybe more familiar technologies like social media or um, geolocation tools like Google Maps, things that we often, many of us use every day in our lives and how they're upending them and subverting them. And I think one of the key questions is something we touched on. What is art? What is originality? What is creativity? Um, how are these new digital tools adding to, um, if you like, the sort of plethora of things that artists can mm. use to make their work? Um, I'm also very interested in the blurring of the real and the digital, so mixing worlds together. And there is indeed a term, MR, mixed reality, where maybe you're in a gallery space, you're seeing real objects or paintings or people in the space, but with your headset on, maybe with a VR headset, You've got other images 
um, that are overlaid on top of it. Right. I'm also very Gosh. interested in how this art um, is affecting us in our homes, how it might be starting to come into our homes, things like augmented reality. Uh, and then also uh, really about how it's changing our experience of art and how it's uh, changing the art world itself. So it sounds to me you've really nearly become a computer engineer rather than an art curator. Is, is there a bit of that about it? Are you trying to keep up with all the new ideas and technology? Sure. I mean, it, I think it's exciting for all of us to try to keep up with this. I mean, I'm not a technical you know, programming person. My background is very much in the arts and in art history. But I am fascinated by how all of these technologies are you know, starting to come into our lives, but also starting to impact on art and artists. I think it's completely fascinating. I think if you're interested in this moment in contemporary art, you can't avoid um, whatever you think of the art that's being produced at the moment. And I would say I'm, you know, not a great fan of a huge amount of it, um, but I'm excited by the possibilities and where the future is going, particularly as the technologies get better and better. All right. Well, listen, you can catch Jackie Klein at Farmley House in Dublin at three o'clock for her talk on art and technology, The New Frontiers, with tickets, uh, 12 euros, I think, to Eventbrite. Jackie Klein, it has been a pleasure to talk to you and the very best of luck with that uh, with that talk and uh, indeed on interpreting what is to come in the future of the art world. And you, you've been a great guest on The Home Show this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Now, still to come after the break, Optimised Designs, Denise O'Connor will be chatting about how to make your home look super expensive, as well as her top tips on what to consider when it comes to choosing a waterfall countertop. As always, you can get your questions into us. Email them here at thehomeshowatnewstalk.com or text us at 53106 and we'll be back in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan and that, of course, you cannot have failed to notice what's happens. money, money, money. Now, in fact, we are not talking about spending money. We're talking about giving the illusion of spending money uh, to make your home look far more expensive and uh, and posher than it is really. And who better to join me in studio to go through all that? Denise O'Connor from Optimise uh, Design. You're very welcome, Denise. Back Thanks, to the show. Now, you. this is right in your wheelhouse, as they say, because uh, this is what you do. You go in and tell people how they can upgrade, make things look lovely uh, without spending an absolute fortune in doing it. So let's talk about some of the things that, you know, are kind of simple to do. Yeah. But actually make a home look, give it that wow factor. So where would you start? Uh, well, one of the first things, and especially this time of year, as the days start to get shorter and darker, um, is look at your lighting. So lighting can really create an amazing atmosphere, can make a space feel much more plush and luxurious. And one of the biggest things for me is to introduce more lamps. So try and use lamps rather than your overhead ceiling lights to light a room. And that's a gorgeous way just to, you know, highlight certain areas, maybe take the eye away from other areas that you don't want people to focus on. But a really lovely way just to change things up without spending a fortune. Where are you on coloured light bulbs? Because this was a big feature, I'd say, a couple of years ago when orange and kind of ready tones and other tones came in. I have mm. I have one lamp which has a kind of a, an orange glow. I love it. Yeah. But it's not it's not for everybody. It do, you would certainly be reading by it. No, I think like the the color of your lamps that that's a huge bearing on the atmosphere in a room. So you I mean we'll all be familiar with the the very cold lamps. So those first um energy efficient bulbs, I don't know if you remember mm. them, but they had this like all, a bluey white. Exactly. Yeah. They were like a dental 
office or something like that. So they weren't very relaxing. And uh, what happens is, say, early in the morning, you'll find natural light is very white. And then as the, the day progresses, it gets warmer and warmer and warmer. So if you want to create a really relaxing atmosphere in a room, use really warm toned bulbs and that'll instantly start to make you feel more relaxed. Um, actually then if you're trying to work say in a home office or something like that those cooler tones are much better because they help you focus they're mm. more like the, the light early on in the day And in terms then of lamp shades mm. uh, and I know it's probably not a thing that people change all that often because they buy most people buy just a lamp the way it comes yes. you know yeah. but if you were kind of wanted to make something immediately look a bit more expensive or yeah. upgrade it. What yeah. kind of lampshade? Because I think it can be quite a powerful statement to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. No, it's a wonderful way to, to even give an existing lamp a new lease of life. So um, sometimes, say, if it's a floor lamp, go really big with the shade and just invest in a really simple drum shade. I mean, you can get them everywhere now, you know, really easy to go in and Does bigger them. look more expensive? Yeah, often it can just create impact, you know, statement okay. um, or change the colour, you know, create impact through colour. So maybe you want to pick up colours that are and in make the that your pop. And make that your pop. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Okay, so that's lighting and lamp shades. Mm. Um, now, layering. Mm. <laughs> so anytime you go in, you look at your Pinterest, you looked at these beautiful actresses' homes or whatever, mm. and what strikes me in the most luxurious ones are creams and beiges and greys, but they're, it's like they have wool and fur and velvet and these beautiful textiles. Yes. How easy is it to recreate something like that without making it look as if you're just piling everything no, exactly. onto the sofa? And you hit the nail on the head there. They're, they're all sort of neutral palettes. So the, the trick there is don't go crazy with colour. So either you're mixing texture, textile or colour. So if, let's say, you want to mix a load of textiles and texture, stick with a, a common colour theme. So like your neutrals, there's lovely creams and greys. And it and does look very luxurious, And it really it? does. It's a gorgeous Do you way have to spend to, a fortune to buy them? No, not at all. I mean, and that, that's the lovely thing. By mixing textures, you're adding interest with the texture rather than having to go out and spend a fortune on really expensive uh, throws or cushions or whatever it yeah, might be. So the thing about the throws, like... They are they are now a big feature and they mm-hmm. remain and they don't seem to have gone away. Yeah, and yeah. is it an idea, certainly at this time of year, maybe to have a throw on, do you put it on each chair or, you know, this invitation, look, if we can't afford the heating, <laughs> throw <laughs> exactly. on an old blanket Pile there. Yeah, I, like it's lovely to have one on a sofa, maybe on a chair. Like I find in the evening in, in our house, people are fighting over them. So, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how many people are in the house and then you can just like... The lovely thing about a throw, it doesn't have to be perfectly folded. You just toss it and put a cushion on artfully. top. Artfully. Yeah, artfully and effortlessly, <laughs> yeah, can look really okay. good. I, yeah. I love that idea because, you know, to me, having those throws, especially in Irish homes and mm. especially this winter with what we're told is to come, um, just it, it looks comfortable, but it looks lush yes, at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Brilliant. Um, now, um, flowers, greenery, all that kind of thing, you mm-hmm. can't beat fresh Absolutely. It's hard yeah. now to come yeah. by in the in the autumn time. But, yeah. you know, it, it, is that an immediate impact in terms of my house now looks really posh because I've I overflowing would, bowls of hydrangea I or something? I really think so. And look, that again doesn't have to go, cost a fortune, especially this time of year. Go out to the garden, take a branch off a tree, you know, just even and actually even sometimes twigs can look beautiful, you know, in, in the, the winter time. So keep it seasonal. Don't forget about your garden. There's plenty of things out there you can bring in. 
And there's nothing like fresh flowers or greenery um, just to create that lovely sense of luxury. And it is good in terms of the air quality, um, mm. having these large leaf plants, which are very easy to grow like monsteras yes. or, yeah. or spider plants, whatever. They're like, yeah. they're very, they'll, they'll grow in anything, in oh. any conditions, really. Yeah. Um, and it takes some of the carbon dioxide out of the out, the atmosphere and all that. Do you think it creates a kind of a sense of peace in a room to have greenery? Yeah, like they've done a lot of studies in this and it's something we would, um, you know, get asked a lot about and it is shown to, to sort of de-stress to help people calm down so just that little connection even a visual connection with nature really important in terms of us being able to relax and unwind so they're a brilliant addition to any room Okay, all right so so that's quite a lot now of course you would probably also include getting rid of a bit of clutter and doing a lick of paint Definitely so bringing you back to those lovely fabulous houses that you see on Pinterest and Instagram they're not cluttered. You don't see a lot of clutter, a lot you of mess. You don't. No. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even see the makings of a normal sitting room no, or a bedroom. No, no, no. No, yeah, no wardrobe, very, no telly. <laughs> very strategically shot. But honestly, you know, there's nothing like clearing out a space, looking at it with fresh eyes just to give it a complete new look, an overhaul and just a new lease of life coming into the winter months. OK, so if you've got a kind of a neutral, cool room giving it a spruce of colour, changing mm. a few lampshades and layering up throws. Yes. Yeah. Easy, easy little steps. And artwork, that's another thing as well that, you know, we all have pictures, we all have photos and things like that. So maybe take a look at those and reframe some of them. Like sometimes um, simply putting them into a larger frame with a really big mount can create impact, mm. make it look, mm. you know, much more impressive. And much it doesn't more have to co- cost a fortune because you no. can buy prints. Like I, I always yeah. find houses can look kind of you know, very, you can give it the impression that you're very serious and important people yeah. by having maybe moody black and white prints in large frames or whatever yes. uh, and just changing it up. Yeah, Brilliant. Definitely. All right. OK, well, there's some great tips from Denise uh, about uh, making your home look a little bit posher than maybe it is. And while we're on the colour theme and talking about colour, mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to bring up briefly, um, Pantone have announced their colour of the year, uh, which this year, and I'm not always mad about this colour, it's called Very Perry. Mm-hmm. So you can look it up, folks, if you want to Very Perry. It's purple, yeah, but it's in that mid bright bluey range of purple. So mm-hmm. it's not like a dark kind of deep maroony colour. Your views on it? It's really interesting. I would say that purple is probably the number one colour that we hear people don't like. Oh, right. Yeah, so a lot of clients would say, you know, we'd always ask, are there any colours in particular you don't want us to use? Purple is number one. Ah. Uh, comes up time and time again. Is that, it's difficult to put things with it. It's really difficult, I think, say for a lot of our male clients, maybe it's perceived as a little bit too feminine. You know, it's it's a really tricky colour. And I think the reason being there's a very broad spectrum of purples out there. Um, so if you think about the cooler ones with the bluey undertones, they're really tricky to live with. Mm. And the kind of light that we get here in Ireland, it's it's very soft. It's not very bright. So those cooler colours, they're really quite harsh. Yeah. They can be a little yeah. bit oppressive. So if you are a fan of purple, if it's something you do want to introduce, I'd kind of steer you more to the the warmer shades. So ones with, say, sandy or beige undertones. Um, much softer, much more cosy, I suppose. Um, and maybe go for the muted or 
The other idea is to go with something really rich and deep, almost an off black with a, a purpley berry yeah, undertone. Yeah, like a jewel colour yes, and, and keep yeah. it in velvet or, or something like exactly, that. Exactly, okay. really yeah, plush. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, Denise, let's uh, take a little stroll into the kitchen yes. because I discovered um, from your notes that I have something I never knew I had, which oh. is a waterfall countertop. Who knew? <laughs> Describe for me and our listeners what a waterfall countertop is. So waterfall countertop is where you have the, the countertop but then the, the material goes down the sides of the island or the kitchen units. So you get that lovely sort of flowing waterfall effect um, okay. of the material going across the top and then down the side. I thought most kitchens had this yeah. because... I, I haven't seen a makeover show recently that didn't include it all the way down. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the kind of the old Formica slab on top of, uh, you know, a different coloured wood or metal is a thing of the past to me. Um, but are they popular still? Is that what people go for now when they're redoing their kitchens? No, they, they really are very popular because it's a beautiful way to finish an island unit. It means you don't have the, the gable ends showing. Sometimes they're not included because for cost reasons. I mean, that that's quite two significant uh, pieces of stone. Well, of course, course, because if you're doing it in an expensive uh, material, you have to now provide two uh, two other slabs of it, don't you? Exactly. Okay. Now, give us some of the materials that are popular with this type of a counter. So with this type of counter, so you would have any of the um, man-made artificial type stones like a quartz, sile stone. Um, There's a fabulous product called Decton, which is the manufacturer would say, almost indestructible, like you have to take a hammer to it to damage it. So it's a brilliant material if you're looking for something that's low maintenance, which most people are Mm. at the moment. Um, But it's so strong that it can come in very thin uh, slabs. So that can be gorgeous for that waterfall if you wanted something that's kind of light rather than a big chunky countertop. That's really nice. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing about Decton, you can use it outside as well. So for people who are looking for that, indoor, outdoor, maybe the outdoor kitchen, it's the perfect um, material to use outside as well. So that that's really good. Are people still going for the steel finish? Um, I find it now harsh, I must say, yeah. that kind of, it looks to me like a catering kitchen or a professional it kitchen. Is, but there are people who like it. There are people who absolutely love it. And um, I remember like, I worked in London for a long time. It was so popular when I was over there. It's the only material people were putting in. And the reason being that you can have your sink and everything formed into it. So it's this one seamless piece. It, it can look very well in the right location, but it does, believe it or not, require a lot of upkeep because it will mark, you'll see fingerprints, you know. So one of the tricks was to, to keep it oiled or use something like baby oil or something like that all the time. So there, there's a lot of maintenance with it where yeah. you would think it's pretty You would low think it, it's low yeah. maintenance and, and yeah. very hygienic, but in fact... Yeah. That wouldn't always be the case. No, okay. it's not for everybody. Now, timber, of course, a beautiful finish, lovely warm colours, gorgeous um, timbers out there now. I love the idea of having that. I, I have a kind of a black and white granite one, but actually mm-hmm. I love the idea of having a wood uh, c- countertop island unit. Is it much more expensive? Do you have to be careful of the type of wood? No, like timber is a very cost effective option. So um, it can be lovely to maybe mix it. Let's say your budget doesn't stretch to allow quartz or stone everywhere. You could have, like you say, timber on the island, maybe 
uh, quartz where the sink is because that's the only thing with timber you got to be careful with water yeah, so it, it yeah. will stain it will wear you know over over time but then some people love that some people love the lived in kitchen look the you scrubbed know. kind of exactly. table look yeah, 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 yeah butcher's block kind of feel for it yes, yeah. uh, and finally has laminate had its day now are we done with that with the old laminate tops not really to be honest that's something that's come on in leaps and bounds. Some German companies now making the most incredible laminates um, where you nearly have to go up and touch them to figure out that they're not uh, stone or quartz or something like that. So again, like they're a fraction of the cost of stone and a really, really good solution if people are working to a budget. And the other thing about countertops is as well, if you don't have the budget straight away for what you really want, you can go with something like timber or laminate and then in a few years' time, upgrade to the quartz of the natural stone. And have it built yeah. for, for the space that you have. Exactly. Okay. Yes. All right. And yeah. your own personal favourite? I have to say I love quartz because it's low mm. maintenance. Mm. It's very sleek. Um, I particularly love when, you know, it's you've got the countertop and then you use the same material as the splashback. So you get that really seamless look. So, yeah, I, if budget allows, that would be my preference. <laughs> All right. Definitely. Okay. All right. Well, look, let me know what your preference is uh, when it comes to that. If money was no object, Denise O'Connor from Optimised Design. Thanks a million for joining my us. My pleasure. All Thanks, of those great hints and tips. Uh, and if you'd like to get involved in the show or you have any questions for our expert designers who come in here, well, then please get them into us and I will make my business to ask them uh, the next time. Uh, if you're a designer yourself, you'd like to share your work with us, then don't forget you can drop us a line on uh, the home show at newstalk.com a text at 53106 don't forget to check out the home show podcast which is up on the Newstalk website that's all we have time for now uh, thanks to Marisa O'Sullivan producing this week with Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy on sound Anton Savage is up next have a fantastic weekend and remember we're back here on Saturday at 8 o'clock